Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Knowledge Exchange podcast. I'm Daniel, your host for today, one of the lead mentors at the Knowledge Exchange. And we're lucky enough to have Ellen Masson, the star EP. And she's, <laughs> she's, she's got a wealth of information and she's definitely opened up my eyes personally to, to a new world in terms of weight stigma, in terms of how to approach clients who have weight loss goals and how to be a bit more person-centered. So she's definitely got some useful tips for us and I'm keen to dive into it today on this podcast. And I'm sure there'll be, this will be part one of many. So Ellen, thank you so much for, for taking the time. Oh, thank you for having me. And wow, star exercise physiologist. I don't think anyone's ever going to be able to top that ever again. So what an introduction. <laughs> well deserved. So, so tell us, tell us what's your story. Um, so there's sort of like multiple parts to my story. I'm going to try and stay as relevant I can to the topics we're going to be talking about, which is a biopsychosocial approach to managing weight or managing weight loss. So for me, I started, I became a personal trainer in the middle of my exercise physiology degree. I did that for three years and I've now been in practice as an exercise physiologist for a year. Um, through, I've been pretty open about my mental health online and what I've personally struggled with. In those three years, I was a PT. I also hurt my back really badly and I ended up being in pain for a very long period of time. And at the time, it was the only, being able to exercise was the only thing that was really keeping me together. And then I developed bulimia as a result of having to cope with then not being able to have the thing that was keeping me together anymore. Um, and that experience, I was probably doing, I probably was really bad for about three years. And when I got to breaking point, I went into recovery and going through eating disorder recovery really shaped my outlook on weight management and what how weight orientated goals and food behaviors that are negative or disordered eating can very, very, very quickly slip into a zone that becomes extremely unhealthy. And I started to realize over the years, particularly being in a gym, that eating disorders are not only clinical eating disorders because they are very. Uh, very specific criteria that you need to meet to be diagnosed with a specific eating disorder like bulimia nervosa or anorexia nervosa or binge eating disorder or non-specific eating disorders like that. And then there's normal eating. And then there's everything in between those two. And we often don't acknowledge that there is a space between those two. And so I started noticing the people, particularly in a gym sitting, because everyone is trying to lose weight basically in a gym, I started to notice those behaviours in people who were seeking weight loss. And I started to notice the underpinning reasons why they were trying to lose weight in the first place. And I recognised that in my own journey as to why I was struggling with my image and weight through my eating disorder. And so that's how sort of this approach has sort of come about for me out of my own personal experience and then noticing my behaviours in others at a bit of a lower level than my own, if that makes sense. 
It's a bit of a round wind story, so I apologise. That's, that's <laughs> cool. And it's, it's interesting that you mentioned that there might be a spectrum, a continuum. So it's not mm -hmm. like we, we cross, cross a threshold and then suddenly we, we need to change everything. It's more maybe, maybe there's other factors socioculturally that influence the way that we have views on what good food versus bad food is in terms mm -hmm. of diet culture and how it's affecting people. And then mm -hmm. I, I really like that you go into the, the why behind why you wanted to lose weight loss in the first mm -hmm. place. So you're diving mm -hmm. into it. And it's something that us as practitioners, we don't do enough of, I feel. So, yeah. so, so being in a gym setting, what are some of the, the common goals and, and maybe the reasons why people want to lose weight? Yeah, so you get a variety of things. And sometimes people catch me off guard as to what they say to. Um, the most common one for sure among not just women but also men is that I want to feel better about myself. So they either have poor self-esteem, poor body image, those kind of things, or a lack of confidence, and they want to feel better about their work. They want to change the way they feel about themselves in essence. And a lot of people feel, at least at the start, that if they can take some control over the way they feel by going, well, I'm going to go lose five kilos or 10 kilos, and then I'm going to feel better about myself. But if anyone has coached clients through weight loss, and I think a lot of us have, we know that that actually is not the case. People will lose that five kilos. People will lose that 10 kilos. And they'll get there and they'll feel nothing. They'll feel like they haven't achieved anything. Even though they have, they still feel that hollow sense within themselves because their self-esteem is still low. Body image is not rational, it's psychological. It's how we view ourselves in the mirror and changing our physical appearance doesn't effectively change the way we psychologically view ourselves because our problem is in our brain rather in, than in the way we look. And if we solely address the way we look, we're never going to be able to give the person what they're actually looking for or seeking. That, that's awesome. It's, it's like if they were to go on this journey, sure, they would lose weight, but it's just a surface level outcome. It's like a, mm. maybe it's a, they're focusing on the symptom or the side effect. I, I like having the analogy of if someone has pain, we wouldn't just target the pain necessarily. We'd look at what mm. is the pain stopping them from doing or what, would it mean if they didn't have any pain? And mm -hmm. it's, it's funny how people can use that, but maybe they haven't stepped into looking at weight loss in the same, same way. So what are some questions that you would ask? That's okay. Before I talk about questions, I would yeah, just, based on what you just said, it is so true. I find it so weird personally, that practitioners, particularly in the biopsychosocial field currently, we've become quite, at least in our, in our bubble, we've become very good at looking at pain as a multidimensional experience. Yet for some reason, we look at weight loss or fat generally as, a, as something we're trying to address, right? And we don't look at it as a multidimensional experience as a person who's in front of you. When it's exactly the same. It has so many outcomes that affect that person individually. We would never specifically target someone's pain. So why would we specifically target someone's fat? It just makes no sense to me. The, the dissonance is real. The dissonance is seriously real, but I understand because it takes, sometimes unless you have certain experiences, you just don't realize. 
and that's totally fine as well. Exactly. Um, so, yeah. Sorry, go on. No, no, no. I think I can't remember what your question was. Now I, I got sidetracked. <laughs> It was in a, in a, an environment that you're in. So you get clients that want weight loss. What are some Mm. of the the questions that would help you probe a bit deeper to find out Mm. the the reasons behind it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, as you pointed out, the big thing that I think everyone could start doing today is asking why they want to lose weight. Um, what we're trying to delve under here is, they might say, well, I want to lose five, 10 kilos. And your immediate response might be like, okay, let's track. And they might just be say, say something very like, I want to fit into a dress. And you don't even just, you don't clock that, right? It's just like, I want to fit into a dress. That makes sense, blah, blah, blah. And you automatically go, let's start counting some calories. Let's make an exercise program. Let's get into a deficit. And you've missed this massive part, which is why does this person want to get into that dress? That's something very specific. So you've got to ask, well, why do you want to get into that dress? And they might say something like, oh, well, 10 years ago I could fit into that dress and now I can't and I'd just really like to get back to where I was. And you might be like, well, what was happening for you at that time of your life? And they might be like, oh, I had less stress or I was more active or blah, blah, blah. And there's all these other things that they're actually associating with that time period and the size they were versus it just being about getting back into that dress. And all of a sudden you've uncovered all these little extra things that are all these other bits of information you can work on to help get that person to actually what they want, which is to have, to go back to a time, which might not be realistic, where they had more control over their life potentially. And does control over your life have much to do with weight? No, no, I don't think so. So, Um, so why is always a good question. I've had some really weird whys come up, like a recent one I had was someone um, tell me who had issues with their body weight in the past and wanting to diet, but we'd worked through a lot of it and we were in a really good space. She was in a good space with her body. So I was really shocked when she came up to me more recently and was like, I want to do weight loss. I want to lose X amount of kilos in X amount of weeks. And I was just sort of taken back quite a lot. Uh, And I started digging, I started asking why, um, and it turned out that she's recently switched jobs and her job right now is not stressful at all. And now she feels like she has no direction or drive in her life and she wanted to start losing weight because she wanted to have a goal. And it was just like she wanted to have something to drive towards and to achieve because she felt like she wasn't achieving anything in her job anymore. I was like, shit, that was unexpected. (laughs) Interesting. So you just never know, right? Um, so why is a big one? Very similar to pain. I really like what you said before. If people are very weight focused, what would what would um, what would you feel if you were that weight? Is a really nice thing to ask because you get another insight into well, I would feel more confident, or I would feel better about myself, or I'd, all those kind of things come up there. Or conversely, as well. If, um, if you were already at that weight, what would that allow you to do? So that's a similar question as well, similar to the pain sort of stuff, where it's like if you didn't have pain currently, what would you want to do or what activity could you participate in? Um, so those are big ones. Um, I'm seeing a lot of arms today. Uh, Diet-wise, it's really important to dive into diet. What we know is the biggest predictor of failed diets is previous dieting history. So... 
diets themselves, um, I sort of define, or not I sort of define, the literature defines as purposeful restriction of food for the purposes of losing weight. So we're purposefully entering a caloric deficit in order to lose weight or induce weight loss. Um, and the efficacy of doing even that by itself is very skew-iffy. Um, we've only got most, the research sort of indicates that about only 10 to 20% of people will maintain the weight they lose long-term past five years. So even just that on itself is something to consider. But if you look at chronic dieting history, we know that if you chronically diet, so if you are constantly yo-yo dieting, you're constantly jumping on the bandwagon of something and then jumping back off, you're cycling your weight. So you're 85 kilos, then you're 75 kilos, then you're 85, then you're 75, blah, blah, blah. We know that... A, you're more likely to gain weight over time. So people who cycle their weight gain weight over time. So if you're sitting in front of someone and they say, I've been dieting on and off for years, you know that a diet, recommending a diet is contraindicated, like straight off the bat, because fat does, um, and the inflammation that comes with it, does have negative health consequences. And do you really want the person you're sitting in front of to be slowly gaining weight over and over if that's what their history has presented to you? So that's something that's super, super important. Uh, what you mentioned before, looking out for asking about how they view food. So good food versus bad food. Um, so moralizing your food, that's sort of called. Um, that's tipping into disordered style eating and it also goes into that sort of yo-yo chronic dieting sort of category too. All the stuff with restricting your food and then overeating, restricting and overeating, um, that stuff's really important. Purging your food with activity. So if you overeat and then you go and do a really hardcore exercise session to try and balance your life out, that's a no-no as well. Um, all that sort of stuff causes psychological stress. And what we know about dieting is that it causes extreme psychological stress. So if someone is already predisposed to have food-orientated behaviours or disordered eating, and then you put them in a diet, you are setting them up to fail and to have more psychological stress. So all those things are super, super important. Again, I just went on a massive rant. I'm sorry. <laughs> And, and it's, it's totally relevant. And it's, it's something that people can overlook very easily. We just assume that people just need to eat less or diet to, in order to yeah. lose weight. And we don't go into the in-depth, the pros and cons of dieting, the pros and cons of having a, spe a specific superficial weight loss goal without diving yeah. into the, the reasons why. And we can see with, with exercise, if someone just exercises for weight loss, like, is that really meaningful? Did we not dive into the whys behind their exercise habits? Mm. Yeah, exactly. And in terms of the, the, the negative side effects, that's okay. You can interrupt anytime. No, no, I don't <laughs> want to. I feel bad. <laughs> in terms of the, the negative side effects of, of dieting, would there be also some negative side effects of, of just having a superficial goal in itself? So even even in terms of negative side effects of exercise, what, what are the long-term implications if someone is only exercising for weight loss? Yeah, it's an interesting one. 
Um, I feel just from a habitual perspective, if someone, and from a, I'm going to look at this from a health perspective, if someone's only exercising for weight loss, how long do you reckon the longevity of their exercise habit is going to be? It's not going to be in existence. What we know about, again, weight loss is that it isn't really maintainable. And for the majority of people, I will say the majority of people find it very hard or very difficult to maintain long-term weight loss. We know it's very easy to lose weight, but it's very hard to maintain weight. And so if someone is exercising for the pure sake of weight loss, what do you think is going to happen when they inhibit it in, um, they start to gain weight again? Do you think that they're going to stick with that? Or is it just going to be, well, I, I did it specifically for that reason. And, and now I'm, now I'm just going to stop. So we want to make sure that people have habits that are driven by something internally rather than some external factor that they're trying to change with their body. I'd argue the same even with um, some people like men trying to build like massive amounts of muscle. That's the only reason that they're exercising because is that long-term, is that something that's truly meaningful or are you just trying to address a certain way that you feel about yourself? So, so true. And and it's funny, if it's just a superficial goal, there has to be something behind it. Otherwise, exactly. you're, not, you're not going towards what you value in life. And it's an extrinsic goal. Like you said, it's not intrinsically motivated. It's not yes. going to last. No. And I find, I know this might be a weird thing to say, and I have no evidence to support this apart from my anecdotal experience, but I honestly feel that everyone who's trying to lose weight or put on muscle mass... Um, apart from people who are pursuing it maybe for a health reason, but we can get into that later because that's a whole other kettle of fish. There's something, there's something intrinsically in themselves that they don't like, that they pursue about or that they feel about themselves that are causing them to want to change their appearance. Because if you're perfectly satisfied with yourself, would you want to? I don't know. I don't think you would. Quite often, another question going back to what we were talking about before was um, I asked people if you did already feel really great about yourself and you did already look at yourself in the mirror and you're just like, damn, I'm going to go out Saturday night, I'm going to absolutely kill it, like all those kind of things, would you still want to lose weight? And often I find the answer is no when I ask that question because that was the thing that was driving them in the first place. Exactly. And, and, and you're getting deeper into it and we're not just, just going with that goal and then, and then fitting an exercise program or a plan or a diet with that. Yeah. And it's, it's so interesting that the, even, as long as I guess they've never been asked these questions before. So they've, they're diving into it themselves rather than just mm. assuming people make the assumption that it's, it's a meaningful way they're it's, aware. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's like, healthy in itself. Yeah. Um, yeah, we do make that assumption because we're, it's the way we're trained at university and a similar thing happens with pain, right? Like which we, we're taught to look at it from a certain perspective and weight is exactly the same. We're trained inherently to react positively when someone says that they want to lose weight because we're inherently taught that weight or excess fat is bad at all times essentially, which is just really not the case. 
and we pull out our tape measure, we do our waist circumference and we're like, yep, they're at risk of cardiovascular disease. But is that, is that really true all of the time? Can we really take one factor outside of this multi-dimensional multi or multifactorial experience and say, well, that's causative? I don't know. I don't think so either. <laughs> there's, there's more to it. And I think uh, if I were to imagine some of the, our three other listeners right now tuning in and three and, yeah, and just uh, perhaps questioning where we're going with this. I think we're, it's important to know that we're not saying it's not a risk factor. So I'm just mm. rebutting a possible rebuttal and it's, yeah, and it's not like that it. if someone has is pursuing what they value meaningfully intrinsically, and that just so happens to be getting in the gym and getting some hypertrophy or leading a healthy lifestyle with activities that they actually enjoy doing, not mm. just for the purpose of weight loss, the weight loss mm. could come as a side effect or as a symptom oh, of 100%. this process. So I think I'm just, I'm just yeah. imagining some of the, the common rebuttals. What do you think, Ellen, yeah. and clear me up on anything that I missed? No, no, no. I think it's really important because um, often people will come at you with, oh, but you're saying that weight loss, like weight isn't a risk factor. And it's like, well, that's not exactly true. It is a person one risk factor, I think is the big thing. And also, if you do not take other factors into consideration, you, may, may, you might make the wrong recommendation. I know personally, if a surgeon came into, I had to have some operation and a surgeon came into me and they said, Ellen, we're going to do this surgery. It has 10% chance of success. Am I going to do the surgery? Like it's actually for me, even though it's such an intrinsic thing for society to pursue with weight loss, um, even from a health perspective, if you're, the intervention that you are applying has a 10 at a generous 20% chance of success, do you as a practitioner think that that is an intervention worth pursuing? for the purposes of health. And I don't think it is because the risk for it is way too high versus the reward. And we have other methodologies that we can improve their, improve their health outcomes with that don't involve using dieting directly is the big important thing. So yeah, I think that's really important. Weight is a risk factor, but is, is pursuing dieting, meaning the purposeful restriction of food for weight loss, the appropriate intervention to use given its, its outcomes, which have been well documented in the research now. Exactly. And, and you mentioned that there might be a few more helpful strategies for this in terms of pursuing it in mm -hmm. a more holistic manner and a more mm -hmm. biopsychosocial person-centered manner. Could you mm -hmm. dive into some of those, those, those options so we're not just leaving people in the dark? Yes, no, of course. Um, so I think obviously one of the biggest things is physical activity, right? Meeting um, our physical activity guidelines, which I'm sure everyone knows, but um, it's two resistance training sessions a week and 75 minutes of vigorous aerobic exercise or 150 minutes of moderate aerobic exercise. Now we know that even just let's take cardiovascular disease, right? Which is one of the bigger risk factors for having excess adipose tissue. When we look at a lot of the research coming out, when physical activity is accounted for, BMI becomes more or less irrelevant. Not quite, but pretty much evens it out. And physical activity was the biggest 
factor for whether you had higher or lower risk for cardiovascular disease. Um, and a lot of the studies, like the broad population studies for obesity, do not take into consideration physical activity. So when you see those big yeah, BMI correlated with cardiovascular disease, for example, most of the time they're not accounting for physical activity directly in their cohort study, which is massively important. Because most of the um, heavier weight population is also sedentary. So we're, uh, huh, the, what are they called? The variables, the, uh, come on, help me out here. You know, like, what do you call it? The confounding variables. Yes. There we yes. go. The yeah. confounding variables <laughs> um, are very high in those kind of studies. Same with um, metabolic disease, looking at healthy, morbidly obese individuals. If we're just looking at someone who is, um, obese we can't tell what their blood work is we can't tell what their physical activity is we can't tell what their diet is we can't tell any of those facts all we can tell is that they're sitting in front of us and that they might have excess body fat but we don't know any of those other factors so we're jumping to assumptions so physical activity also helps a lot with managing metabolic disease. There's a little bit more risk still there than cardiovascular, but physical activity by itself, we know increases muscle mass, which helps with insulin sensitivity. We know improves bone density. So that in itself is a massively huge thing. And as exercise physiologists, we should feel very comfortable trying to create exercise goals for people to stick to. Um, so that's a big one. And then obviously diet. We can make big differences in nutrition without changes in body weight specifically that still impact our health. So again, as exercise physiologists or physios, we can give recommendations based on the, based on the Australian guidelines for healthy living. If the person in front of you looks like they need more attention and more advice than a recommendation to a dietitian would be very helpful in that circumstance. Um, again, looking at smoking, do they smoke, alcohol use, um, what the stress is like in their life, their psychological state being a big one. If you're sitting in front of someone who is obese, I can guarantee you they've faced a lot of stigma in their life and that's almost a whole podcast in itself. I don't even know if we have time to get into that. But um, weight stigma is basically you making an assumption about someone just solely based on their weight, which happens and is chronically documented in healthcare currently. Um, and it impacts people in bigger bodies, health outcomes as well. Um, and we know that even just weight stigma by itself um, increases your risk of cardiovascular disease, increases your risk of more, um, metabolic disease, increases your risk of all-cause mortality, increases your risk of developing eating disorders and psychological issues. So you just looking at the person and not focusing on their weight unless they bring it up to you could be a massive thing for their health overall, just to have someone who's not looking at them and judging them solely based on their weight. Um, from a going back to a dieting perspective, having someone in front of you who has psychological issues with food and their relationship with food um, and being stuck in that sort of chronic dieting cycle, helping them break that cycle and providing some psychological relief for them and an ability 
to live their life without being consumed by some of these things is also a massive improvement in their health and well-being. And so there is just an endless amount of items that you could look at that I haven't even mentioned here that can help people improve their health overall that is not solely focused on weight. And a person might lose weight from some of these interventions hypothetically, like if they start exercising, they're sedentary, they change their diet a little bit, but they might not. And it doesn't matter because they're healthier and their outcomes are better and it's more sustainable in the long term. This is just a last minute rant, but if you're someone who, let's say with, when you're dieting, you go into some 1,500 calorie tracking thing on MyFitnessPal, you do that for six months, you lose 10 kilos, um, you've avoided all these social situations, you've done all this stuff to maintain to your goal, and then when it's finished, you start eating what you did normally. And because we like participating in social events, we like being able to indulge in food and you start gaining weight really rapidly because the intervention was not set up to your lifestyle. I've always been a big proponent that if you're doing, if you get into a set exercise regime and you make diet adjustments that are um, relevant to your lifestyles and that you can stick to the weight that you might lose non-specific weight loss so not targeted weight loss will be applicable to your lifestyle and then you can maintain it without having to think about it because your lifestyle has matched the intervention versus you just going oh, I'm just going to go on this restriction and then we'll just see how it pans out at the end and I can tell you it doesn't pan out well <laughs> So, yeah, that was my exactly. rant. Yeah, it was a great rant. And it was in, in terms of building up the quality of life around the goal, just like we do with, with pain and looking at the, the person's lifestyle and fitting it into them, fitting the mm. plan into them, whatever that may be, as opposed mm. to just targeting and making that the priority. Just like if we were to make pain reduction the priority, it would affect other things and it might not pan out in the long term. I mean, who can really treat pain in the long term if we specifically treat it specifically? Same, same mm. with weight loss with all the evidence that we have. Maybe we can look at other factors of health, like you mentioned, looking at their, their sleep, their stress, the reasons why they want to lose weight mm. and go from there and make, make the interventions enjoyable. I feel that if it's a lot of times, if it's just weight-centered, or even if it's just pain-centered, people don't really like it, adhere to it, commit to it, engage with it. So some really good pearls of wisdom there, Ellen. And I'm oh, sure there'll be you. like two or three other podcasts and heaps of questions <laughs> on this. So, so where, where can we find you if, if, we, if we had further questions or wanted um, to So I'm on Instagram mostly, ellen.masson underscore EP. You can come shoot me a message there or obviously I'm on Facebook, you can shoot me a message there too. Um, just quickly, I'm going to say one last thing with what you just said, because I thought it was a really good point about not focusing directly on weight. There's, um, Greg Lehman has that great thing, which is with the cup, right? And I think that, um, I hope everyone's familiar with the cup because I'm not going to go into it, but weight lot, like weight is the same as the cup. Like what's in your cup? What can we remove from your cup? And I think a great question, like he says, is, what, how could you be healthier today? 
is a great stepping stone to allow someone to go, well, this is something that I would like to work on and it could be completely nothing to do with weight. And it could be something that you didn't necessarily think they were going to choose, but now they've led you to what they would like to work on. So even just asking those broader questions and not just assuming that their weight needs to be targeted specifically is a massive step forward. Not being so prescriptive or fixing and more being in terms of how can we make your quality of life or your health better? What does healthy mean to them? Yes. And then exactly. they come up with things that you would have never thought of before and it's meaningful to them. And then that will start, start a new cycle where they have better nutrition, better physical activity, better lifestyle habits anyway. So, mm. Love it. Using yeah. motivational interviewing and biopsychosocial approach to, to not only pain, but to, to everyone. Cause we're, if we're person centered, that, that comes under the same umbrella, right? hundred percent. Awesome. Ellen. Thanks so much for your time. And, and like I said, there'll be a few other podcasts. And for the, the two listeners now listening, we've got a few, uh, we've got, we run courses. So as part of our group, um, you might be wondering why we post all the memes and all the research. We actually do run courses. So check out tkex.org and you've got options for mentoring as well. So thanks again, Ellen. And until next time. Thank you. Cheers.